Good evening. Pasha Shmois. We embark on the new Sefer Chumash Shmois. Chumash Shmois, formerly known as Exodus, I guess reflecting on the goals. But it's only a guess. The little translation of the word Shemais is names. These are the names of the children of Israel who came to Egypt. Now a person's name is an extremely personal matter. Whenever a person hears his name called out, the word resonates in his heart and lifts his spirit. And that people feel so strongly for the names. They'll be a fortune to have the names put on buildings, on <coughs> moistus. They want their identity to be perpetuated in stone. And we know from the Baal that a person faints, you whisper his name into his ear and he comes back to life. And this is the inner significance of a name. I don't know if you haven't noticed, talking about calling people by their name and getting their attention. I don't know if you haven't noticed the squirrel when it eats. Have you ever noticed the squirrel when it eats? It looks like someone's always calling his name. Just looking around in the middle of eating. Very strange attitude. Calling his name. But the Shaila is, if you want to tell me that the name is so significant to the etzim, the tzias of the person, to the actual essence of the person, that's so many people with the same name. So many people with the same name. And if this is their essence, then all these people have the same essence. So then the name ultimately is somewhat of a paradox. On one side, it tells you nothing about the person. And yet, it represents and tells us about the person's total uniqueness. And because of this, that's why this Pasha is called Shemais. The paradox in our Pasha is we read a moment of gloom for the Jewish people. They went into exile, they went into Golas, they were enslaved. And then a glimmer of hope comes on the horizon, appears on the horizon. Moshe comes to redeem the Jewish people. But what's the immediate result? Things get worse. And yet on the other hand, the mother states that the key theme of our Pasha's Gola, redemption. And that's why the Pasha's called names. 
Because the name is also a paradox, just like precisely the same type of paradox that we witnessed in the parsha. Just like a name, superficially, is a concealment of the person's true identity. So many other different names, different people share the same name, and yet deep down, a person feels that his name represents his total uniqueness. Pasha Shemais, superficially concealment of the Jewish spirit. In Golos. But deep down, the spirit always remembers intact, remains intact in life. Rebbe Rashad, the fourth of Babich Rebbe, once told a story. <coughs> in the time of the Tzomosevic, the Russian the Tsar the was stealing children off the street, little children, Jewish children, indoctrinating them into the army, seeing to it that ultimately they should forget their Yiddishkeit. And the Rahman al-Islam his results were pretty, unfortunately, pretty good. And the Tzemach Tzedek said that a Jew should rather give up his life than give up his Yiddishkeit, his Judaism. It doesn't work. You can't do that. You can't do that. And this was a lesson that the Rebbe, the Tzemach Tzedek, taught to all Jews. If Chas Shalom, a Jew gets caught as a Cantonist, as they were called, <coughs> they should rather give up their lives than give up their Yiddishkeit. One such example said the Rebbe Rashab one such example was the story of Shimon Shimon was a sailor in the Tsar's army the Cantonist. And it's quite a successful one. But more than just successful, he was very respected. And Shimon the Brave, as he was called, Bodri, was the Admiral's pride. By him, the day came that they were told that the Tsar is coming to visit their ship. This was an honor. 
but although it was an honor, there's nobody in the American law, in the American life, that compares to the Tsar. The Russian Tsar was revered, respected, and feared in one sentence. It was mind-boggling. Now for the Russian Tsar, people would think twice before mentioning their name. Never mind addressing the Tsar. Just to mention the Tsar's name would be a... Ooh, and so needless to say, when the Tsar said, when the Tsar said, He's coming to visit the ship. Ship started to hop. They started to build up into this, the time of the Tsar. He was coming to inspect the ship in the Navy. And when he arrived there, the day he finally came, the ship, everybody's uniforms were spanking and the people were totally, totally re- revered by him. And the Admiral said, I have something to show the Tsar. And Shimon Bodri, Shimon the, the brave one, was told to do it. And he ran up to the mast. The mast must have been 100 feet high. He scaled the mast in his full uniform, stood up on top of the mast, arched his back, and spun off the mast into the water. An amazing feat. The cheers and the applauds were just... But more than that, he swam back, and he presented himself in front of the Tsar. The Tsar was so touched by the exhibition, and by the reverence that he just showed... He said, tomorrow we're going to repeat this. I'm going to revisit the ship. I'm going to have a special surprise. And the next day, the Tsar was back by the ship. And again, the soldiers, the sailors were back in position. And Shimon now wearing a dry uniform. And the Tsar called him forward. And the Tsar said, Shimon for what you have done yesterday, for the respect and honor you showed me, for the talent which you have, I am promoting you to general. An honor which is just incredible. General. Hmm. Much to the surprise of the Tsar, Shimon steps forward, bows his head and says, Your Honor, Your Majesty, whatever they called him, I can't accept. 
your amazing gift. He says, why can't you accept my amazing gift? He says, you have to understand, according to your law, I'm not allowed to. Why am I not allowed to? Why are you not allowed to? And he says, because according to the law of the Tsar, a Jew is not allowed to be a general. A Jew can never rise higher than the rank of a petty officer. And the Tsar is quite shocked and taken aback. First of all, that someone is going to refuse him. Secondly, refuse him the rank of general. And thirdly, and worst of all, still call himself a Jew. The Tsar said, it's not a problem. You're just going to give up your Judaism. Shimon saw there was no choice. He saw his back was against the wall. He saluted to the Tsar and said, I just simply would like to once again do what I did for the Tsar yesterday first. The Tsar, of course, was very happy to hear that realizing that Shimon was now going to convert as well. Go ahead. Shimon ran to the mast, picking up all his equipment. Made it up faster than he did yesterday to the top of the mast, and stood on top of the mast and said, Your Majesty, in all the years I was in your army, I never once ate today. In all the years I was in your army, I was never once Mechal Shabbos. In all the years I was in your army, I kept whatever I could in Torah and Mitzvahs. And now too, I have an obligation to keep. And he called, screamed out, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Alekeinu, Hashem Echod. And he threw himself off the ship. Body didn't come back up this time. Three days later, the body was discovered. And the Tsar, who is now furious with this person, thinking of how to re- avenge him. So in the meantime, <coughs> before he gets buried in the uh, army's cemetery, he should sit in an open casket. For a few days. This, Rabbi Sai, is a very humiliating thing for a Jewish body. The Jewish body is on this world with a mission. And the mission is for the X amount of years that the body lives here. And the Rabbi once explained to somebody that is brought down in Svarim, nobody is bad enough to die earlier than their time, and nobody is good enough to live longer than their time. But in their time, the person is given whatever they have to do, their missions, and whatever they have to accomplish. And thereafter, the body, Adam, you say they may offer, but say for the offer. The person is made from dust, earth, and returns to the earth. And therefore, 
according to halacha, it's a desecration of the body. Should the body not be buried immediately? We told the story two weeks ago about a body that was almost, God forbid, not buried, almost had to have an autopsy. Check the archives. <laughs> two other Cantonese soldiers in that unit saw what was happening. They couldn't take it. They went to the cemetery to a soldier that recently died. They dug him up. And they went to the guards that were standing guarding the body. They gave them what to drink. And hoping that they were inebriated enough not to realize what they were doing, they switched bodies. And they took Shimon's body and they buried him. A mace mitzvah, because it's a mitzvah to bury a Jew. But Chesed Shalemis, which is in all burials cases, because the dead can't pay you back. You're doing a favor now to somebody who can never repay you. That's called Chesed Shalemis, kindness of truth. However, it was discovered. When it was discovered, these two soldiers were brought to task. And they were brought to task and they were tortured to find out where is he buried. One of them died from the tortures. (coughs) (coughs) And the other was shot to the firing squad. But the grave of Shimon was never revealed. And we see just that, just that from our parsha. The concealment of a Jewish spirit, we don't see always our spirituality. We don't see always what we are worth and what our value is. Hence, we need to be reminded from time to time. Unfortunately, the world has a strange way of reminding us. Should it be an Inquisition? Should it be a Holocaust? Should it be Antifada? Or should it just plain be Rahman al-Islam assimilation? All these are equally dangerous to the Jewish nation. All these have equally done damage. But worse than all of them is the intermarriage. Where the intermarriage does not have any kind of recourse. The intermarriage has no way of fixing it. But all these things are things that happen in today's generation and things that are constantly reminding us and attacking us. The Klal is, says the Gemara, that the Abishta, the Almighty, prepares the Rafur before the Makkah. 
before he created any kind of disease, any kind of sickness, he already created a refuah, a healing, a medicine, a medication for it. And we know this, we know this from the Gemara. We know this from the Gemara because we look in the orders of the Gemaras, of the Mesechtas, and the order of the Mesechtas, we see that the Gemara of Gitten is before the Gemara of Kedushin. The Gemara that talks about divorce comes before the Gemara that talks about marriage. So it must be refuah is prepared before the Makkah. Uh, could I get in trouble for that? We'll have to get the editor to delete that part. Uh, the refuah is prepared before the Makkah we see in this week's Pasha. Ve'ila Shemais b'nei Yisrael abayim as we spoke before, the Pasha speaks about the Jews going down into exile of Golas, to the exile of Mitzrayim of Egypt, the basis of all the exiles. Within the Pasuk, we find the Makkah and the Refua. We find the medicine, but we find the sickness as well. Shemais b'nei Yisrael haboyim. Shemais's shin starts with the letter shin. B'nei starts with the base. Yud starts with Yisrael starts with the yud, and haboyim starts with the hey. Spelling the letter shin base yud hey, which is shivya, captivity. But we know that the Jews came out of Egypt for several mitzvahs. The first mitzvah Shemais. They kept their name. The Pasuk then continues. Ace Yaakov Ish. The last letters of Ace Yaakov Ish are Tuf Beis Shin, which is Shabbos. So Shabbos was also a mitzvah that saved the Jews. Then we have the words B'nai Yisrael Haboyim Mitzrayim the last letters are Yud, Lamid, Mem and Hey which comes to the word Mila because they kept this Mila and finally the last word of the Pasuk Ish Ubeisai Bo'u. Why would it have to say if it said B'neisah Haboim? Why does it say again Bo'u? They came. It says already Haboim Mitzrayim. They came to Egypt. Bo'u is Beis is two, Aleph is one, this makes it three, and Vav is six, which makes it nine. Let us take the word Beged, garment. Beis is two, Gimel is three, is five, and Dalit is four, is nine. So Bo is Gematria Beged. They didn't change their garments either. The, the Mitzvah's been 
the Medrash tells us that those are the four things that save the Jews. But we don't, the Medrash doesn't tell us in the Pasuk, it's there. Wow. It's right there for us already to begin with. We don't have to worry about it. And if you take the word Shemais, B'nai Yisrael, Habayim, Mitzrayma, Ace, the final letters of those words are tough Hey, the final letters of the words of Taf Yud Lamid Mem Hey, which is Tehillim. The words of Tehillim save the Jews. So we see that the Rafuah is prepared before the Makkah, and within the actual Pasuk that tells us about the Shivya, tells us about the captivity, we already find the solution to the captivity. But the Pasuk goes on again to renumerate Ruvain, Shimon, Levi, counting off again the names of the Shvatim. And Rashi explains, even though they were counted when they were alive, Afa Bishmanan Bechayim, Bishmaisan, Chazuramana Bimisas, they're being counted again when they're dead. To tell us how sweet, how important they were, how dear they were, <coughs> they were compared to the stars. <coughs> The first sighting of this, the first look, first time we look at this, we find it very strange. Rashi is coming to explain here why the Jews were counted a second time. They were already counted in Parshva Yigash. So Rashi asks, why are they being counted, enumerated again? Rashi says, because they're so valuable. <laughs> you can't say that. In Vayigash, they were counted, there were 70 people. Now there were tons and tons more. It's obvious they needed to be counted again. So therefore we must say, Rashi is coming to explain something else. Not so much why they were counted, but why their names were once again renumerated. We know the names of the Shvatim. Why does he go again to say Ruvain, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda? Because just like Ruvain, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda were when they were alive, the same way they when they were dead. They were just as valuable to God. We learn that Moshe Rabbeinu Medrash tells us was born Premature. Unlike Baruch Hashem, our newborn granddaughter, she should live and be well. Tomorrow she will have a name, hopefully by the Rebbe's minion. She was Baruch Hashem, born in her ninth month. Can I know that? But Moshe was born early. What was the plus? The plus was that the Egyptians were very, very technologically advanced. In what way? Sick, sick situation here. They knew when women became pregnant. And they knew the women became pregnant and therefore they knew exactly when nine months were up. And they came looking for that baby. Big problems. 
Bayim, Meshe's mother, the Yikach Ishlevi, tells us that Ishlevi, when he heard the terrible decree against the Jews that they're not allowed to have children, and called any son that's born has to be thrown into the river, he separated from his wife. Some say he even got divorced. No. His children, <coughs> were now the matchmakers for the second shidduch, for the remarriage. The children, Aaron and Miriam, came to their parents and said, no, you can't do this. You can't allow this to happen. And therefore, they got them to come back again together. And this whole swat as to what happened, how they played music by the wedding, etc., etc. And from this new reunion, Moshe Rabbeinu was born. No? Moshe Rabbeinu was born, but he was born early. Don't do that. Sorry. You don't think yawning is contagious? <laughs> yeah, it's been a long week. That's nowhere near over. Moshe Rabbeinu was born prematurely, as we mentioned. And the parents had the opportunity to keep him at home for three months. At the end of the three months, tells the Pasuk, tells the Teda, that they had to take the child and put him into the river. But what kind of Jewish mother can take their child and just throw him into the water? Doesn't work, doesn't work. And that's why the, the house, what the um, midwives are told to do it. And this and that. It wasn't floating the boat. Speaking of floating boats, they put together a wonderful, beautiful little basket and they put tar on it, etc. It's probably stronger than the Titanic. <coughs> the proof is, Titanic sunk. And they pushed little Moshe into the water. Yeah. They learned, with it, they learned the uh, material beforehand. Yeah. And so Moshe... Little baby Moshe is floating out the Nile River, getting a suntan. Because it didn't rain in Egypt, you know that. And um, he got hungry. Inevitable, you get hungry. There it tells us a story. All of a sudden, telling us stories. Bas Parai came to the river. Middle of the day, Bas is coming to the river. She's coming to wash herself, to bathe. You tell me the king's palace, there was nowhere to bathe, you had to come here to the river? Chazal tell us she was coming to convert. She wanted to become Jewish. As she came to the river, 
She sees the basket. Anyone who has a preschooler in school will definitely hear over Shabbos or get the arts and crafts of the long arm of Batya. Her arm stretches out, she brings in the basket, she's the baby's crying, she's Jewish. And obviously they tried to get a wet nurse for him and it wasn't working. She realized she needs a Jewish woman. Since the mother and the sister were standing on the side, they were caught and chosen to nurse the baby. So now not only was baby Moshe safe, not only was he brought into the palace, but his mother was brought as well. No. Moshe is now brought into the palace. And the tailor continues to tell us a story. He grew up. He grew up and he started to see the tortures the Jewish people were going through. Now he knew that he was a Jew. He knew he was part of this nation. And it hurt him. It bothered him. And as a matter of fact, he comes out one day, says the tailor, and he sees a Mitzri beating a Jew. And he sees this and he pronounces God's name. And the Mitzri dies and the Mitzri goes into the ground. And the Egyptian. The next day, says the Tera, Moshe is taking his patrol <coughs> and he sees two Jews about to fight. About to fight. One lifted the hand to the other. Moshe refers to him as a Rosha, as an evil person, a wicked person. And he asks him, Lama Sakarayacha, why did you hit your friend? And the Merchazal tells us he didn't hit him. He just raised his arm up to him. What's the response? It should be, Oh, you're right, you're right. We shouldn't be fighting. We have enough problems. But no. They turn and they tell him, and what are you going to do about it? You're going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian? Oi, says Moshe. Moshe. Moshe got very frightened. and said, Was this story found out? And it says, he was worried on that somebody saw. He was worried on that he saw wicked Jews speak Lashon Hara. And because of that he knew, the Jews could not get out of Golis. Mind-boggling. Mind-boggling. First of all, Vayira Moshe? Moshe gets frightened? It's called a spade a spade. Moshe was a prince. Moshe was being raised by Pari's daughter. Moshe was being raised by Pari's daughter. 
and comes along these guys, and they say, oh, you know, this guy, Moshe, he killed an Egyptian. Even if it goes to trial. Who's going to leave these Shmendriks, these Jews, over the man that's living in the house of Pari? Did he not have enough clout in Egypt to not have to be worried about this? But let us put that aside a moment. Did Moshe not feel the spirituality and his greatness that if it's God's will, then God will find, then it will be discovered. If it's not, it won't. What does this mean? Like, you know, Moshe, Moshe got frightened. What was Moshe frightened of? He was frightened that someone's going to try to put him in jail? No. That's why we say he saw that there are people that speak Lashon Hara. But we have to understand that Medish Chazal that ultimately when the Jews left Egypt, there were Jews that were sinning in all different forms and fashions. They were still serving of the Zara. But still in all, they were revealed from Egypt. They were redeemed from Egypt. If the sin of the Zara didn't hold back a Jew in Egypt, Lashon Hara is going to hold him back. Lashon Hara is going to hold back the Jews if the sin of of, of Zara didn't. But the truth is, the Jews were were fit to be redeemed, even if they did the sins. So, what was Lashon Hara so bad and so severe that it held back the Jews? When the Jews left Egypt, the Almighty came and said. I am choosing my nation. And through this, the Jews became a chafetz, a chefetz of a nation. They became an entity, a nation of its own. And we read later in Vashanan that the Yerush refers to as the Gulas Mitzrayim, Lovei Lakachas Goi. Mikerev Goy. He took a nation from a nation, from within a nation of the Egyptians, the Almighty removed, extricated the Jewish nation. What's a nation? that took a nation from within a nation if the Abish takes a nation from within a nation what is the difference between a nation and a group of 200 people a group of a thousand people 
The Wall Street protesters, are they called a nation? No. But they're a group of people. They're an entity of people, but they're not a nation. <coughs> Yaakov Avinu's family, his children, are they a nation? No, they're his family. They were one large family, 12 children, Ganada. And each one had children and grandchildren, great grandchildren. They were a large family. Why are they a nation? Therefore, the Abisha says that I came and I took them as a nation. What makes it a nation? A nation makes it that they are one united entity, they are one united group. Since Lashon Hara causes what's called Pirud, separation, and, and people's hearts to go in opposite directions, people to, to dislike, to hate others, people to just, for no reason, develop a hatred to other people. They never met the person in their life, but they heard Lashon Hara about them now, and therefore they hate them. They despise them. And the Gemara tells us Lashon Hara kills three people. The one who says it, the one who hears it, and the one it's said about. But since Lashon Hara causes this terrible, terrible distaste, you want to tell somebody, you know, hey, watch out, this guy is bad in business. He's bad news. You're going to do business with him, you're going to lose your pants. Is it fallen to Lashon Hara? It could be, it could be not. It could be, say it in a way that it shouldn't be Lashon Hara. It could be. But ultimately, there's a reason. You're telling the person, be careful for this person. But if the person is not a proven danger to the society, does not steal, does not hurt, does not kill, does not anything, but did once upon a time a sin, and now by saying it, you're just going to get a good laugh out of people, you're just going to humiliate the person, whatever it might be, this is pure utter Lashon Hara. It has no tayelis, any whatsoever. What does it do though? It causes people to go in opposite directions. And since the idea of Yitzhiyah Mitzrayim was to take a nation from within a nation, they can't be considered a nation, an Am, if they're not together. And, and Lashon Hara causes that. And therefore Lashon Hara, no matter what other Avedas they did, Lashon Hara was the most severe one of them all, that ultimately kept him out of Mitzrayim, kept him in Mitzrayim and not being redeemed. By the Jews being counted, Ishmael ben Esau Aboyim Mitzrayimah, Shkul and Hain, Yisrael Ketzvah Shemaim, they're like the, the stars in heaven. And even though Avshakadish Baruch, Avakadish Baruch, Shiyardi Yisrael in Mitzrayim, even though God already counted them before, when they came into Egypt, because they were compared now to stars, says the Paz, says Shmei Sraba. Therefore, each one of them was called a name, and each one of them was made an entity. Why are we compared to the stars? we say, just like the numbers of the stars are so vast, so too are the Jews.
And then he adds, compared to the stars, how the Bishemis Nikru. Why are they compared to the stars? Because they're called by names. Halacha is Shochanarach, Yeridea, Semenkuf Yud, Sif Aleph. A dover should be minion lay bottle. We've spoken about it once before in the previous year. When you're cooking something and something not kosher falls into it, if what falls into it, it's just reading glasses. You just get these in local pharmacies or something for four dollars, three dollars. And something falls in it, it can be bottled bashishim. It can become nullified within sixty. In other words, if there's sixty percent more in the pot than what fell in, it can be taken care of. Sometimes it can be nullified by rave. But if it's a dovership minion, if it's a dove, it's something that is very valuable, it cannot be nullified. It falls in, it's you're finished. Nope. Now we also find Dovish Minion is not bottle. In another case. So ultimately that's first before we go back to the other case. And that's why the Jews were counted now. They became a Dovish Minion so that they can never be nullified in the Gullahs. Though they're in exile, they never follow they never become distinct. And an extra strength that's given to the Jews is the calling of their names. Extra strength. Extra strength is something like new and improved. I never understood what new and improved means. If it's new, what are they improving on? On the old thing But then it's not new. And if it's improved, then obviously it's not new because they're improving the old thing. So it never made sense. But that's, that's all good. It's all good. So the giving of the kayach, of the name, if a person, the din is, if a person is collecting his field, and if he gets a bundle, this is called shikra, and he has to leave it for the poor people. However, if he has an olive tree, olive a grove, and it's not a grove, obviously, oranges are in groves, what are the olives growing? They grow on a tree, but what are they? What are a bunch of trees of olives called? Orchard. No, nope. orchard is uh, apples. No. apples. Grapes have vineyards. Yeah, but I don't know. It's gonna disturb. Let's see. A bunch of things of apples. Uh, olives. Olives. Let's olives. see. A bunch of trees of apples. Um. No, not getting it. 
Okay, it's not giving it to me. No, no. No, olive field for sure not. Sorry. So if there's a bunch of trees of olives and the tree is given a name, this is this tree, this is this tree, because olives are very, very valuable. It then becomes the concept of Dovah Shebeminyan and cannot be considered Shikha. In other words, the person forgets this, and the first time around, he'll definitely notice that he didn't get from this bunch of trees, from this particular tree, and therefore he will come back for it. And that, thereby, Shikha never falls on these, on these particular trees. And this is what the Jews were given in the time of Golas, the strength that they were given. Although it looks like we've forsaken, we've forgotten, we're forlorn, we should know that's not the case. The Pasik says, Hashem. Tzion said that God left me. Zion said God left me. It's only what it looks like, what it seems. But the truth of the matter is, the Jews can never be forgotten. Because they were given a name, and they're a Davachashiv and a Davachashiv Minyan. There's an interesting medrash in Shemesh Rabbah. Moshe Rabbeinu runs away from Egypt, comes to the house of Yisrael, marries Sepeda, Bas Yisrael, and, and, what happens really? He becomes a shepherd for Yisrael. And the medrash tells us another Famous story, this is probably the other famous story that your preschooler will tell you this week. When Moshe Rabbeinu was shepherding the sheep of Yisrael in the desert, Barach Mimeno Gdi, a little seagull, a little shepherd, a little goat, ran away from him. And he chased it. Until he came to a to an area where it can graze, whatever. It was water, actually. When he came to this opening, to this clearing, there was a pool of water. And the poor Sigala started to drink. I said, Moshe, if I would have known that you were thirsty, Nebuch, I wouldn't have chased you like this. But now that you're tired, because I chased you, he picked up the Shepsel after drinking and he carried it back. The Abisha saw this. If you have such compassion to lead the sheep of a human being, <coughs> if you have the compassion to lead the sheep of a human being, so much more so, says the Abishta. 
you're going to lead the flock of the Jews. <coughs> this is a lesson to each and every one of us. In the Medrash of Esther Rabbah it says, Nisgalgu Rachmav Shalakadish Baruch Hu Omar. Ma'akil Godl Azesh Anishamea Kigdim Vitlayim. What is this big voice, big sounds that I hear of sheep and goats? Amad Meshra Ben Lefinakadish Baruch Hu, the Meshra stood in front of the Abishta. Vama said, Rebainish Shalaylam Katni Mach. So we find, therefore, his humbleness that he presents himself with the Ebishter, that the Gideon go on the concept of Katnimach. And what are the Katnimach? These are the Tanekesh of and the children of Yeshivas. And this is the lesson to us. Just like Meshe Rabbeinu the Reya, the shepherd of the Jews, did not give up even on one little sheep, and did everything that he could in his powers to carry it and bring it back to its, its flock. It's our obligation. And we cannot give up on one Jewish soul. If we see a Gedi, a Jewish soul running from our nation, running from the flock, we have to do all that we can and work with Mesidus Nefesh to return this lev, this child to the same Kachim, to the holy sheep. What last thing to squeeze in? <coughs> we find very interesting in the beginning of the Pasha where it says, Yamas Yasef, Yasef died Vahaladera who or rather actually the Melech Mitzrayim died by Yokomelech Khodash al Mitzrayim. A new king stood up on Egypt. The Jew has to always remember that his protection is only from God. It's only God that can and will and does ever protect us. And therefore, although the king, the Jews started to get used to the Melech Mitzrayim, started to get figure out ways and fa- forms and fashion to get along with him with peace and live with him in harmony and do their job and not have them being harassed and not them being tortured, you should know where Yaakov Ultimately, a new one stands up. A new one that gives new gzeres, new decrees, new ways of torture, new ways of intimidating, new ways of trying to turn us away from our Yiddishkeit. And therefore, it is imperative on each and every one of us that we see to it that we bring forth and we bring out what the Ebishter wants from us, how the Ebishter wants us to do it. And thereby, naming 
a child. We mention tomorrow, he's in the hate in the morning again, as we said before, be the naming of a child. Hopefully. And this teaches us, therefore, that God's love to each and every Jew is unconditional. And we carry our name and we bear our name and we should hold it up proudly. And we should... By the, thereby, we will carry our flags and we will present them before Mashiach Tzidkenu on this very Shabbos and we will go out of Golas.